Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. You know, every once in a while, I see these stories, and I just wonder why somebody thought it was a good idea. I mean, do you ever have that situation, like like people will do things, and then you, you'll look back at it, and you say, I wonder what was going through their mind, why they thought this would be a good idea. Two examples of that come to mind. All right, uh, Port Washington, Sockville School District. Okay, that is in Ozaki County. Ozaki County is, of course, a heavily Republican county. Not that that matters. Ozaki County went overwhelmingly for President Trump. Apparently, on the school district's Facebook page on Saturday, someone posted a cartoon on their Facebook page showing the Statue of Liberty leaning over and telling President Donald Trump, you're fired. <laughs> okay, now this is on the school's official Facebook page. And so, uh, obviously, the school district starts to investigate. A couple teachers, you know, found out about it. They called the attention to the school superintendent. He, his name is Michael Weber. He started looking at it, and he said, well, uh, this is clearly inappropriate. It's very, very disappointing that somebody would go on to our Facebook page, our district Facebook page that we use to inform people about, gee, you know, we're, we're closing the school for COVID or whatever, and, and they deleted it. So then they start investigating, and it determined that it's a support staff member who they have not publicly named, who apparently has access to the district page. And they say, um, we discovered that one of the support staff members trusted with rights to post to the district Facebook page had accidentally accidentally posted the cartoon to the district's page when they meant to post it to their own personal Facebook page. Well, well first of all, how do you accidentally, you know, post it onto the, the, you've got your personal thing and then you've got the school districts. How do you accidentally, oops, I made a mistake. I didn't put it on my personal thing. Secondly, if you're a school district employee, maybe it, it's not the best idea in the first place to be posting that stuff. But regardless, it's certainly not the best idea. You wonder, okay, what were you thinking when, you know, you're accessing the district's Facebook page. Here, I'm going to give them an update on the COVID numbers. And here, I've got this cartoon that denigrates President Trump. Let's put, oops, I put it on the wrong one. I mean, seriously, they, they say the staff member's access to the district's Facebook page will be suspended and security protocols will be upgraded. You think? But you do kind of wonder, assuming this might have been something more than a quote-unquote accident, you do kind of wonder, what, what exactly were they thinking? I have that same question about a colleague. Now, it's I, I for about five or six years, I, I did regular TV on, on Channel 4. We did part of the 3 o'clock news and stuff. And over the years, I have gotten to know a number of other media personalities. It, it's not like... At least we all hang out. At least I, I, I don't. I have my own group of friends and stuff like that. But, you know, you're, you're around here long enough and you get to know who people are. And, again, when I was working um, on a daily basis and doing the show on, on Channel 4, you, you got to know a lot of the, the 
person, the people behind the scenes, certainly, and then the people you see in, in front of the camera. And it, it's amazing, you know, the turnover that goes on in local news. A, a lot of the anchors are there, but the vast majority of the reporters that were there when I was on the air are, are, are long since gone. But, you know, on a personal level, you get to know some of the people, and then just in the personal interactions, you have an idea as to what their politics are. But but at the same time, if you watch the TV shows, you, you really never see it. I, I think think back to the big Channel 4 anchors over the years. I mean, Mike Goucher, uh, I, I, you know, I, I know Mike sort of, not as well as some of the other people, but I, I don't think, you know, from watching Mike on Channel 4, you could have ever known what his politics were. You know, Mike Jacobs, same sort of thing. Carol Meekins, certainly the, the same sort of things. Kathy Michaelby at, at uh, Channel 12. Uh, Joyce Garbasiak, I, I've known Joyce for years and years. Her husband was uh, a partner at a law firm of my late wife. So, you know, you, you get to know some of these people, again, off the air, and you have kind of an idea as to where their politics are. But, but you know, they, they don't express that in, in public sort of forums because it, it ends up hurting their credibility, which brings the, this story up that I know is circulating around. Dan Bice sent out a tweet about it. Uh, Ted Perry, who I and I like Ted Perry. Ted Perry lives in at least he, he used to live in Whitefish Bay. I lived in Whitefish Bay. We'd run into each other at the coffee shops and things like that for reasons that escape me. You know, Ted Perry goes on to his personal Facebook page on, what, Saturday or Sunday, and posts the following. 2020 takes Alex Trebek but leaves Mitch McConnell. Um, just end already. <laughs> you know, and it, it's kind of like, I, I, I look at this, and look, and I, I understand that there's a lot of people out there who are are very, very happy that, that Joe Biden has, has won. I, I get all that. I understand that there's a lot of people out there that just absolutely hate the Republicans. And, and now um, if President Trump ultimately, you know, doesn't figure out a way to reverse the election results, you know, Mitch McConnell becomes essentially the, the leader of the Republican Party, at least among office holders. So I understand why people, you know, dislike him, you know, if you're of that political bent. But why, if you were a TV anchor in town, why you would think it was a good idea to post something like that, which immediately, I mean, now telegraphs to a large chunk of your audience, you know, where your political sympathies are, why you would think that would be a good idea is absolutely beyond me. But that's exactly what, you know, Ted Perry did now he he subsequently apologized for that and deleted the the posting and um I, I guess I don't know if it was related to that he wasn't on the air yesterday but but it it's again it's you look at some of these things that people do and just like you've got the school district employee up in Port Washington Sockville who's posting hostile political stuff on the school district's page or Ted Perry you know, going to his personal Facebook page and, and posting things. It's not a question of whether it's his right to do it. Of course, it's his right to do it. But at the same time, when you're in a certain business, look, I get paid to sit on the radio three hours a day, five days a week, and give my opinions on things. Okay, that's so it, it I don't think... I don't think I would be posting something like that because it strikes me as being incredibly tasteless. But but putting that aside, it's one thing if you're a political commentator, people know where you stand on issues, and th- that that comes with the territory. It's another thing if you're a news broadcaster or an anchor. Why you would jump into the deep water of this particular pool is absolutely beyond me, and yet that's exactly what Ted Perry on Channel 6 did. 
All right, when we come back, was there really fraud? Or is this just all smoke and mirrors? We will discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. As I argued yesterday, twenty the twenty twenty election is a lot different than the two thousand election. I did not think Al Gore's challenging the results in Florida was good for the country. But at least there, it was one state. If somehow Al Gore could have flipped the results of Florida, he becomes the president of the United States. Wasn't ultimately able to do that, but, but at least there, there was a conf- there was a battle that was going on in one state. That is not where we are right now. President Trump, his, his role to re-election, his road to re-election is almost impossible because it's not just, hey, if I can convince people that, you know, something funny went on in Georgia, I'm going to be able to win the election. No, because then you got to worry about Pennsylvania and Nevada and Michigan and, and all these other states. I, I'm just saying that in order for the president to be able to stave off the the, the inevitable, it seems to me, you got to convince you got to win battles all over. You, you've got to convince people, you know, in, in Wisconsin that we, we need to do a redo and, and things like that. It's it is as a practical matter. It is an in, I think it's an insurmountable barrier. In addition, there are always going to be, I think, what I'm going to describe as irregularities in in voting. Voting is is not a a perfect sort of thing. And the fact that you have states, you know, all the different states that do things differently from, all right, you know, when, when can ballots begin to be counted to, you know, how long you know, do you have to return the absentee ballot? And to, to when can you start voting? To when can you register? Can you register 30 days in advance? Uh, does registration cut off two weeks? Can you register on the same day like you do in Wisconsin? There, there's always going to be differences, and that's going to lead to discrepancies. But at the same time, in a case like this, this election in 2020, you have you have tens of thousands of, of votes that would have to be thrown out in multiple states in order to have any chance of of swinging the election or at least getting a a redo, which is maybe the best-case scenario. Now, I've I've listened to a lot of the stuff that's out there, and I I have to just say, I I understand that there are people who who don't want to see President Trump lose. I, I get it. Nobody likes to see their candidate lose. And I have, so you don't have to. I've gone to the dark corners of the Internet, and I've looked at, at some of the stuff that's out there and some of the allegations, and, and you put it together, and in most cases, it's it's like people screaming, well, this this should have been done better, or, or this could have happened, or, or that could have happened. But it's, at least so far, I don't know that I've seen any examples of what you could you know, establish to be a even probable cause not necessarily proof beyond a reasonable doubt, but even probable cause to believe that there was any sort of widespread fraud which occurred. And as I've tried to explain to a couple of my friends who are upset with the results of this election, you know, if, if you want to believe that the election was stolen from President Trump, how do you account for the fact that Democrats 
underperformed all across this country. Remember, we were being told that there was going to be this blue wave and the Democrats were going to pick up, you know, 15, maybe 20 seats in the House of Representatives, and and they ended up losing five. There's going to be a blue wall wave and all these these Republican senators are going to get tossed out. And the way it looks now is you've got 50 Republicans, 48 Democrats, and then you've got these, these two runoffs going on in Georgia. I mean, my only point is if there's this widespread fraud that's out there designed to take down Republicans, why didn't it reflect itself in the down-ballot races that were out there? Was it only directed at President Trump? And if so, then why and how? All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I believe, obviously, there, there needs to be, you need to be convinced that there is legitimacy to the election. But my question is this. Do you really, is, have you seen any real basis? I'm talking about real basis to believe that whether it was in Wisconsin or Michigan or Arizona or Nevada or Georgia or Pennsylvania or any of these other states, do we have any real basis for believing that there was widespread fraud? And I'm not talking about irregularities. There's always going to be some irregularities. But th- these claims of fraud... Unless you can back up these claims, I don't care who won the election and who didn't. It's not good for democracy to have 40, 45, 48 percent of the electorate believing that that the election was stolen. That wasn't good and it wasn't fair in 2016 when the left took that approach to President Trump. And candidly, I don't think it would be good for the right to take that approach towards Joe Biden when he is sworn in as president. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you believe, and it's a yes or no question, that there was widespread voter fraud which threw the election from Donald Trump to Joe Biden. 855-616-1620. I'm just here to tell you, I I just haven't seen anything that convinces me that that went on. Again, if you want to argue, okay, this procedure wasn't perfectly followed, all right, I'm, I'm willing to give you that in certain cases. But that's not the same as saying widespread fraud, the election was stolen. We discuss next. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I mean, I'll give you an example of something that's circulating around. It's, well, in, in five states, there's tens of thousands of ballots total where there's a vote for Joe Biden and there's no votes for anybody else on the ballot. Now, we don't ask whether or not there's votes for Donald Trump and, and nobody else on the ballot, but but that's being pointed as, out as an example of an irregularity or fraud. And I'm here to tell you that that's just not the case. There are some people, believe it or not, who just go in, they vote for president, and they stop voting. That's it. Then they turn in their, their ballot. They they don't they don't vote for you know their their local congressman or, or whatever. Now that might seem strange to you, but that's what people do, and it's it's not uncommon. You find it. If you're looking at ballots and you study political science, they call it ballot ballot fatigue. Um, people vote for the race at the top of the ballot. And as you go farther down the ballot, people just kind of shut off. I, gee, I don't know who this person is. I haven't been following up that race, etc. It is not uncommon at all to have the, the big race, the top of the ticket, have more votes than other elected offices as you move down. So, I mean, I don't even know that I would say that as an irregularity, but that's being pointed to by some people. See, that means something has to be fishy. Sue in Cedarburg. Sue, you're on WTMJ. 
Yes. Um, I'm thinking that there could be there's irregularities, as you said, things that, you know, you question, you know, um, Pennsylvania with their, you know, mail-in ballots mm-hmm. counting for days. Why in this country, why does every state have to have different rules? I mean, we are a country. We are, a, you know, united America. Why can't every state have the same lousy rules that every other state has so people wouldn't be thinking about this? You know, so thanks. You know, it's funny you should mention that because rarely will you hear, hear these words come out of my mouth, but Canada does it better. In Canada... The, what what they have is they have a, a central rules governing their their federal elections their their, their statewide like their their the, the countrywide elections and and their standardization now i i do agree see to me all the different rules just lead to these things um you know why why do some states uh, allow the ballots to come in for several days? And so then you've got this tedious counting procedure while others turn it. In the state of Wisconsin, I mean, one of the simple changes that I hope the governor and the legislature can get over and get done is is allowing absentee ballots to be counted as they to, to be to be put through the machines. Um, not necessarily finally tabula- tabulated, but put through the machines so we don't have one of these deals like we've had in 2018 and 2020, the, the Milwaukee County and or City of Milwaukee ballot dump, where at 2.30 or 3 o'clock in the morning, mysteriously, you know, tens of thousands of, of votes uh, appear, and they, they skew heavily Democratic and, and change the results. Now, look, I'm not saying I think there's fraud with that, but the problem is when your candidate, your, and typically it's the Republican candidate, is ahead, and then all of a sudden, Milwaukee reports, and the whole numbers change. Well, they, you know, they should be reporting during the course of the day. You know, so you get an idea, and there's not this giant ballot dump. If you change state law to allow, maybe even require, clerks to tabulate the results as they come in, not release the results, you would be able to avoid that, and therefore you could dispel any notion that, okay, there's some sort of irregularity. Okay, we continue the conversation in just a moment. Do you believe, I mean, really seriously believe, putting aside how you wish the election would turn out, do you really believe the election was stolen, yes or no? Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I think the election was stolen, but in a different way than voter fraud. On election night, I noticed that many states had a lot of referendums on them regarding controlled substances and decriminalization of drugs. I don't believe subjects like that should be on the ballot in very important elections. I believe they draw out very uninformed voters who vote for that reason only. Um, And then they go on. An example, I do believe that the marijuana referendums on the Milwaukee and Madison ballots are what's caused Scott Walker to lose the election. Well, see, that, that I think is a valid point. Not a point of, of fraud, uh, again, but it, it's sort of like a manipulation of the system. There, there's no question that in 2018, you know, they had marijuana referendums, non-binding referendums, but non-binding re- marijuana referendums on, on many different areas, um, including some some very democratic areas. And the thinking was that's there to try to 
inspire the, the, the pro-pot crowd to turn out, figuring that the pro-pot crowd is going to be more likely to, when they vote for the, hey, man, we want to be able to smoke dope, they're going to be more likely to vote for Tony Evers than Governor Walker. And that's, I, I think that that happened. Was that enough to swing the election? I, I, I don't know. But, but clearly, those are tactics that are employed by, by people to try to uh, give them the best chance of winning. No, no question about it. It's like why you can make an argument that, and I'm a do-the-math guy, you can make an argument that this election in Wisconsin, given what we know about the outcome, might have been swung when the State Elections Commission refused to allow Kanye West to be placed on the ballot, despite the fact that historically in Wisconsin we've tried to bend over backwards to give ballot access, but Kanye West was denied access to the ballot because the, the people turned in ballot signatures, but they turned them in you know, a, a few minutes too late. Alternatively, you know, the uh, the Green Party candidate was denied admission to the ballot, despite the fact that they turned in enough valid signatures because there was some question about she, she moved in the in the middle of the um, in, in the middle of the, the time that the petitions were being circulated in under normal circumstances. You would think that people would again in Wisconsin, we err on the side of allowing people on the ballots. But in those cases, Democrats were successful in keeping Kanye West off the ballot and keeping uh, the Green Party candidate off the ballot. Now, I guess, you know, it's woulda, coulda, should have, but in a race that involves, you know, a, a margin of only 20,000 out of, you know, three plus million cast, you know, would would Kanye West and would the Green Party of candidates sucked, you know, 20,000 votes away from Joe Biden? Certainly possible. Now, is that fraud? No. But again, it, it's, it's the system and, you know, the results of the system, I think you could make an argument that this election in Wisconsin swung to Biden by virtue of those decisions that were made. Let's talk to James on the West Side. James, you're on WTMJ. Hi, how you doing? Real well, thank you. What do you I, think? Uh, yeah, I, I do think there is voter fraud because um, there's irregularities in five states now outstanding. Um, Joe, Joe Frazier uh, over there in Pennsylvania voted. And uh, he's he's been dead for a while, mm-hmm. and along with Will Smith's father. And then I, I don't know if it's true or not, but what I heard was 100,000 votes were found mysteriously in Wisconsin, um, and none of the votes went for Biden. Well, I mean, again, th- th- I mean, all, oh, excuse me, all the votes went for Biden. Yeah, I, James, you got got to be careful with what you read on the internet. Now, I, I then, I mean, I, I understand that there's all this stuff that that is out there, and look, and I, I have no problem with investigating these things. I, I'm just here to tell you that that most of the stuff that I have seen is easily disposed of. I mean, the the big thing that was going around a couple days ago was, well, there's evidence of fraud because there's only 3.1 million registered voters in Wisconsin, and there was over 3.2 million votes that were cast. Well, no, that's, and and that was, that was this theory that was being peddled. Well, that 3.1 million number comes from the number of registered voters in 2018. This is 2020, and there were like 3.6 million registered voters or something like that, and 3.2 million voted. So it, it, you, you gotta be really careful with this. Now, like I say, am I here to tell you that, that elections were perfect? And am I here to tell you that, that you can't find examples of where somebody voted for their dead, their, you know, somebody pretended to be their dead v- brother and cast a vote? I, I, I can't. I mean, I, obviously, you know, when you have 
a system where you've got millions and millions and tens of millions of votes being cast, you're, you're going to have situations like that. You're going to have some irregularities, and you're, you're going to have some you know isolated pockets of fraud. I'm just saying I've seen nothing to indicate that there was the type of massive fraud in mass m- multiple states that you would need to be able to overturn the, the results of an election. I have no problem with conducting investigations, but at the same time, at some point in time, I, I think everybody has to recognize that you know elections matter. We have an imperfect system, but when the numbers don't go your way, at, at some point in time, you have to say, fine. Now, President Trump, for whatever reasons, doesn't appear to be anywhere close to that point and you know he he's trying to to continue on and you have you have a lot of mainstream republicans who are in a very very difficult situation let me explain by what i mean by that there is no question in my mind that that president trump who outperformed expectations and has an enormous number of very very loyal followers president trump whether he's in office or not remains a huge political force. So now you have a situation where, all right, let, let's say you're the Republican Senate candidate running in Georgia. you got that election, that runoff is coming up. Well, all right, right, the last thing you want to do is you want to get President Trump mad at you and tweeting to all his supporters, hey, don't go out and support you know, so-and-so in, in Georgia. So you have a lot of these Republicans who right now are kind of, at least for the moment, sort of held hostage a little bit because the future of the Republican Party, if it is going to be successful, is developing politicians who can retain the the core of the Trump base and yet expand, you know, reach out, you know, bring back some of the, the suburban women. You know, make further inroads in, in some of the various minority communities. That That's the trick moving forward, trying to figure out, okay, how can we broaden the Trump coalition, which is still huge, and which President Trump, after four years, unfortunately, was unable to broaden that coalition. But my gosh, if he had just been able to bring in, you know, a few million more people across a certain number of states, he would have been reelected. My only point about all this is just be real careful when you throw around the, the fraud allegations and stuff, because if people it's it's one thing if elections are stolen and, and there have been times in American history where I think you can pretty much conclude that, that elections were, in fact, stolen. But before you throw that type of stuff around, I, I think you need to be really confident that you've. You've got the goods. And I'm just telling you, I haven't seen anything in the week since the election to convince me that the people who are pushing the fraud narrative have the goods. Back with more in just a minute. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Jeff, I see that most, if not all, of the fraud lawsuits are getting thrown out. Will the narrative be the judiciary is also fraudulent for aiding and abetting? Well, again, I I, I hope not. It's... um, I, I I hope not. Jeff, so we'll ever know the number of illegal mail-in ballots from dead people, people who moved, etc. Well, the answer is no, unless we get evidence to believe that that's happened and it's been widespread and the people end up getting prosecuted. Now, look, I, I didn't just fall off the, the turnip truck. I understand that there's always an element of that that goes on, but... When you look at the numbers of votes that would have to be there and illegally cast and all illegally cast on one side, at some point in time, you just start to do the math and it becomes 
just overwhelming. Um, Jeff, during the 2016 GOP primaries, the president said the elections were rigged. He said the same thing prior to the November uh 2016 election, and then he said the same thing for months prior to November 3rd. I believe this is his modus operandi. It gives him a built-in excuse if he loses. And see, and that's one of the frustrating things to me, and I say this to Trump supporters. I think President Trump ran a heck of a campaign. I mean, you had you had the polls that had written him off. You had the mainstream media that had written him off. We were being told that this was going to be a landslide. This was going to be a debacle for the Republican Party. They were going to lose the Senate. They were going to lose all these seats in the House. Donald Trump was going to be the anchor that took down and destroyed the Republican Party. And, and the answer is that did not happen. So, I mean, I think President Trump deserves a lot of credit for the race he ran. And I think for people out there who want to demean the, all the various Trump supporters that are there, oh, these are nothing but racist, uneducated rednecks. I, I think you do that at your own peril because we are an extremely divided country. And it's not difficult at all to look at that electoral map and recognize, hey, this swings, you know, one way or just just a little bit. You know, if President Trump does in Wisconsin, for example, just a little bit better in in the suburbs, for example, the, the Washington County, the Waukesha County, Ozaki County, if he does just a little bit better with in this case, I think it's going to turn out to be largely suburban women. You, you can you know, you, you've got a completely different narrative, very, very close election. And I think all the politicians moving forward, like I say, if you're a Republican, what you and you want to get elected to office, that's what you've got to try to figure out. What's how do you keep the Trump coalition together? And then how do you broaden your base? And you don't need to broaden your base a lot. You just need to broaden your base a little bit. And then, you know, Wisconsin swings back the other way. All right. Which brings me to the, the related question that is is out there. I mean, I understand that right now the the president has not conceded and apparently doesn't have any intention to concede in the very near future. At the same time. The numbers are what the numbers are. For this country to run effectively, what you have to do is you have to have cooperation between the outgoing president and the incoming president. You know, the the whole, what they call the transition period. At least so far, the reports are that the Trump administration, starting with President Trump, have been unwilling to work with Biden and the Biden team on the transition. The argument is the president hasn't conceded, so why should we cooperate at all? Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, here, I guess I look at this again and say, look, you, you can you can fight you know, as, as much as you want. I mean, you, you can do whatever you want. You can file all the lawsuits you want, et cetera, et cetera. But when the count is not going your way, does that automatically mean that if it looks like you're going to lose, you still should not be cooperating with the person who's going to be your successor to try to make it easier for them to do their job? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess I don't see these things as being mutually exclusive. And even if you want to fight, that's okay. Go ahead and fight. But should President Trump be cooperating with the Biden transition team so that if and when President Joe Biden becomes the president in January, he's ready to hit the ground running. 
Wouldn't that be the right thing to do? 855-616-1620. I mean, you can do it without conceding, but just, here, this is how stuff works, etc. I don't think it's necessarily in the president's makeup to do it, but wouldn't it be good for the country? And maybe, just maybe, wouldn't it be good for the Trump legacy? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620. Jeff, the president will cooperate. He said he will cooperate. It's only been a week, though. Jeff, he lost. It's simple. Um, they're saying it turned out to be the most honest election due to all the observers and press covering it. Trump tried everything to steal the election. Voter suppression in Wisconsin and the South. I don't know what that's talking about. Took over the postal post office to try to screw up the mail delivery system, etc., etc. Well, just like... Time out. Just like I, I caution people on the right for going too deep into the conspiracy theories, again, I, I would say that to the same thing for people on on the left, the idea of, oh, well, um, because you pushed for voter ID, for example, that meant that you're into voter suppression, or because you thought state law should be followed, saying that um, absentee ballots had to be returned by 8 o'clock the night the polls closed. That means you're into voter suppression. Yeah, don't, don't, go down th- don't go down the crazy train there either. Um, Jeff, um, Biden was the vice president. He should already have an idea on how things are are run. Well, yes, obviously you'd like to see him hit the ground running, but these transition periods allow the people that are going to be taking jobs to get to know what the job is going to be. Jeff, even if I thought there was a chance of flipping the election, I still think it would be a good idea to prepare for the transition. Um, you know, if if the handoff is muffed, we are weaker as a country. Um, you know, Jeff, we just came off four years of, you know, Russia, 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 Hillary, I was cheated tour impeachment. And now we should realize that the people have spoken and been and be quiet. Well, OK, I guess there, there's two ways that you can go with this. And this is one of the things that I've been trying to make a point of over the course of the last four years. Look, I I think the the vendetta that was launched by some on the left, the fact that they never accepted Donald Trump as the president, the the illegitimacy, he wouldn't have been elected, it was Russia, 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 you know, drinking that's Kool-Aid, that that was a distraction for the country. It was ultimately unsuccessful. Maybe it it allowed people to feel good about venting. Maybe it helped people pick up some seats in the uh, midterm elections, but it wasn't good for the country. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of stuff that's not good for the country. And at some point in time, if it appears that, you know, we're going to have a new president, and that's certainly what it looks like, I I think it's one thing to be the loyal opposition. You know, I'm, I'm not saying roll over and go along with the Green New Deal and do anything that, you know, um, Joe Biden and his allies on the far left want to do? Of course not. But I am saying that at some point in time, you got to pick what your battles are and you got to figure out how you're effectively going to be able to fight that. Jeff, graciously help with the transition or at least end up getting out of the way. All right, let's talk to Gianni in Montello. Hi, Gianni. Uh, hello, Jeff. Um, a rainy day today. My goodness, we're going into November. But hey, listen, I, I think Donald Trump is Donald Trump. And um, I, I think that it would be very much out of character if, if he doesn't pursue this, uh, you know, uh, litigiously. Um, 
he makes Anton Sanders LeVay and Aleister Crowley look like wayward schoolboys. He is Donald Trump, and um, it would be much out of character if he didn't pursue this to to January twentieth. Um, well, and and then and then thereafter, <laughs> For, forget about January twentieth, Johnny. It, it, thanks for I don't I don't know why we think January twentieth is necessarily going to end that. No, and that and and that's I mean, look. I think anybody who thinks that President Trump is going to go graciously into the good night, I recognize that this is not going to happen. I mean, he's he's already formed a new political action committee, and there, there's no question in my mind that at least for the immediate future, you know, President Trump wants to be a player, and and he's got. Yeah, some people are saying, you know, I think he's going to run for real for uh, to be elected again four years from now. And yes, he could do that. He could do it if he chose. The time he'd be what seventy eight, and I understand Biden's seventy eight. But I, I just I I can't believe Donald Trump is going to run for president again four years from now. But there's no question that he's positioning himself to be a, a player on the political scene moving forward. I guess my point would be. I think maybe by gracefully exiting stage left, he puts himself in a better position to, again, be a political player than he does if he continues to just fight and fight and fight, what ultimately I think are going to be losing battles. When we come back, Tony Evers is going to be talking to the state tonight. What might he say? And if he comes down with the idea of lockdowns, what should the response be? Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, very glad to have you with us. Hey, just a, a quick note. I, I was off Thursday and Friday, and we launched this promotion. Um, it's Melissa Barkley and WTMJ teaming with the Hunger Task Force to help make the difference for families in need this holiday season. And um, we're, we're doing it in a sort of unique way this year. All the different shows are, I guess, competing with each other to see who can help donate the most Thanksgiving turkeys to families in need. So here, here's the, the deal. And this is, it's 15 bucks a piece. And so what we're asking you to do is to go to our, our website, WTMJ.com, and then you'll see this thing that says WTMJ Cares, Pass the Turkey. And then you scroll down and there's the various shows that are there. And we're asking you to make a donation to the Hunger Task Force. And then the various hosts get credit for this. And I, I think some people are really into this competition. I'm candidly, it, it's a really good cause. So if, you know, especially given everything that's going on nowadays and given the fact that so many people are struggling and so many people have lost their jobs and it's just such a difficult year. If um, I've always been amazed, and I've said this for the now 23 years that I've been on the air here, I'm always amazed at your generosity. And and when we have these causes and and the way people rally, and this is trying to feed people around Thanksgiving, you could not have a better cause. So if you can see fit to do that and to make a donation for the Hunger Task Force, and this helps you do it, I'm I'm all I'm I'm down with this. You go to wtmj.com, click on the WTMJ Cares, just scroll down, and you see the different shows and if if you want to donate under this show's name i would very much appreciate it the bottom line is what we're really trying to do is feed people and that's that is a very very good cause okay tonight governor evers when i think 605 will be addressing the state he's going to be giving uh, a covid 
address. They're, they're not saying what he is going to call for. There's no question that, uh, and it's not unique to Wisconsin, coronavirus is running rampant in this country. And it's, by the way, it's running rampant across large segments of, of the world. I mean, if you look at what's going on in Europe, it, it is not a pretty sight um, as far as, as the virus spreading. Part of that, I think, is just because, you know, we're getting fall, we're getting colder weather, more people are going, are inside. Part of it, I think, is just pandemic fatigue, that people are, are worn out from being able to, to be told, you know, what they can and cannot do and where they can go and who they can uh, socialize with. It, it's all those different things. Um, and there are some people out there who don't believe COVID is real and don't believe it's a problem. And to them, I would introduce them to my, m- one of my very, very close friends and one of my wife's childhood friends who's, I think she's out of the hospital today, but it was hospitalized with COVID. Thankfully, she's going to be all right. So it's going to have a, but it, it's, you know, it was a certainly an unpleasant sort of situation. So you, you have the, this balancing. The virus is real. At the same time, um, you, you've got situations where the economics of this are, are real. What happened when we shut down and did the lockdown, the so-called safer at home thing for the first month or two in, in this, it, it had devastating economic consequences on people. Um, you know, we've businesses have closed, stores have closed. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people have lost their jobs. And in many cases, those businesses are closed. They're just flat out. They are not coming back. Now, the governor, at least under the Supreme Court rule, does not have the authority to reinstitute his safer at home order doesn't have the authority to do it and at the moment his efforts to try to do statewide mask mandates and limits on the number of people who can be in bars etc that that is held up in the court that that's we don't have a decision on that but there's nothing that stops the governor from going to the legislature and saying legislature give me the power to do various things all right now so the question now becomes if one of those things that the governor wants to do, and my my feeling is Tony Evers is a lockdown guy. We would have, were it not for the state Supreme Court, he would have kept the state locked down for, I believe, a lot longer than he did. The only reason Safer at Home went away when it did was because the state Supreme Court didn't didn't think he had the authority. You can argue that now, at least if you look at the COVID numbers, they're worse now than they were when he first implemented Safer at Home. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If, as part of the presentation tonight, I'm saying if, the governor asks the legislature to give him the authority to lock down the state, should the legislature say yes? Should we go back to the lockdown with the idea that we're going to try to get get COVID-19 under control? Lock down the state for two weeks. Lock down the state for four weeks. Lock down the state for 60 days. Close all but the essential businesses. Go back to where we were in March and April. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If the governor asked the legislature to do that, what should the legislature's response be? My answer would be no. 855-616-1620. What do you think? Should we go back to a lockdown? We discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
855-616-1620. Jeff, if the governor proposed a new lockdown, he would absolutely kill any economic recovery the state has seen. There are effective and enforceable alternatives to lockdown that limit the spread while saving the economy. Even the uh, World Health Organization has come out against lockdowns. No, Jeff, mandates don't work. Um, There should be a bipartisan agreement on masks, social distancing, and other reasonable guidelines. Um, The legislature should be in with a common-sense approach and a a proposal. Um, Let's see. Jeff, I say no. Life is always a balance of life itself and economics. We either have to let the virus run its course amongst our population, hopefully most people living through it, or have a vaccine. Now, of course, the, the, the good news is yesterday, you know, Pfizer reporting very, very positive results. The, the news today is they're thinking that, that maybe by mid-December you can start to be rolling out a, a vaccine. Now, Again, that, that's a start, you know, but that's light at the end of the tunnel, not a train coming the other way. Jeff, if we go into lockdown again, the virus will again run rampant through our population when we get out of that um, like uh, lockdown. Jeff, what about Biden saying he would shut down the country? Well, I'm not sure he's ever said that he's going to shut down the country. He said he's going to follow what science tell him. Um, Jeff, we have a choice. My choice is to stay at home and only go out when necessary for food or a doctor's appointment. I will not be responsible for getting my elderly mom sick to each his own. Um, Do what you want, and if someone you love gets sick or dies, it is then on you. Interestingly, one of our texts said, Jeff, do you realize what's happening in a couple weeks? It's deer hunting. Do you really seriously think that the governor would suggest or call for the state to be shut down right before deer hunting? Huh. Let's talk to um, Liz in Mequon. Liz, you're on WTMJ. Hey there. Hi, Liz. Um, so I, hi. So I'm a nurse. Um, I work in a hospital in the North Shore, and we are full, like, busting at the seams, not just of COVID patients, um, but of very sick people. Um, we've seen a huge influx of the COVID population within our hospital, um, and it just each day keeps getting worse and worse and worse. Uh, I don't know. Um, do we need a lockdown? We need something to happen. We need uh, changes um, to, to what we're doing because it's not working right now. Let me ask you this. Is why, why do you think the, the COVID numbers, not just in southeastern Wisconsin, but in the state, across the country, and, and frankly, across good chunks of the world, why do you think they're going through the roof again? Um, like, I mean, as far as, you know, around these areas, it's, it's, it's wintertime. We're spending more yeah. time inside in general. Um, that yeah. has to do with it. And also, like you mentioned, the pandemic fatigue. Um, people are getting tired of you know, hearing about wearing masks and washing our hands and, um, you know, they haven't gotten sick. So they think that they're not going to get sick. And so more people are getting a little bit more reckless and, uh, you know, people yeah. going back to school, all of that. You're, you know, going yeah, kids going back to college. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 It, it's it. Let me ask you this. Are you still at the hospital you work at? Are they still accepting non-COVID patients? Um, yeah. Okay. We are. Uh, we have to. I mean, like, like I said, we have lots of sick people. Um, well, we are limiting our elective surgeries right. that started like this week, so those are greatly reduced. Um, we're setting up like areas in the hospital. We're holding in the emergency departments and um, 
you know, other areas of the hospital, creating new areas of the hospital to prepare for this, uh, you know, surge that, you know, we've only just started and it's going to get worse within the next four weeks is kind of what they're anticipating. Hopefully, you know, four weeks we'll see kind of a starting to you know the, kind of, the one of the big i'm, I'm very i'm really well. i'm really glad you called because one of the one of the big issues too at the beginning back in in march and april were the healthcare workers who who didn't have enough of the, the personal protective equipment and stuff is that any better we have enough masks and everything we can get a new uh n95 every single day we've got i mean our gowns we're we're totally fine with that right now right um yeah, and well, you know, who knows? Good. Right? Yeah. Okay. Thanks. No, I appreciate the perspective. Who knows what it's going to be next week? Because that's, that's. I mean, that is one of the things during this entire conversation. It it, it always has been about flattening the curve, not eliminating the disease. Because unfortunately, until we have a vaccine, I or and we're not going to. Then the vaccine leads ultimately to what they talk about being the herd immunity. Until you have that, the disease isn't going anywhere. This virus is going to be with us. The, the thing that you try to deal with when you're talking about flattening the curve is making sure people like Liz don't get overwhelmed. The hospital system doesn't get overwhelmed so that there's so many COVID patients that other people who need the various treatments can't get it. I mean, that's that's one of the keys that are out there. Um, let's see. Uh, Jeff, the Packers are in season. Everybody's getting together and watching the games. I think the Packers are the reason for this. Um, let's see. Um, number of people are talking about, let's see. Jeff, I strongly disagree. These lockdowns should be done intelligently where we support people while they are under lockdown. Ramp up quick result testing and contact tracing for when the lockdown ends so we can mitigate localized outbreaks. You see, that's... Uh, to, to me, lockdowns don't work. The lockdown that we put into place last spring, I, I think, was heavy-handed and just caused all sorts of economic devastation. And, and it, it just didn't make sense by picking winners and losers. And I've used these examples before, I, I know. But to, to say to the local jeweler, you, you can't be open, but yet people can go run by watches at Walmart. We're going to let Walmart be open. That, that made no sense at all. I, I think... First of all, I think the response needs to be localized. What is going on in Milwaukee may be different than what is going on in Watoma, which may be different than what is going on in, you know, in, in Bayfield. Allow the local governments to try to adapt to the different needs that, that you have. But also, if you're going to do these lockdowns, you've got to be smart about it, and you have to be able to say, okay, is the lady who runs the, the luggage store or is the, the lady who's, you know, cutting people's hair, have there been any reported instances of, of people getting COVID at that hair salon? And if there's not, it's not right to, to make that place shut down. You have to have, I think, some common sense with this. I actually agree with the tester. To me, the key to this is, is testing. So you find out you know, when people are, in fact, sick, and then it's contact tracing. So if somebody tests positive for COVID, what you do is you can find out people that they may have been around and then just notify them that, hey, you might have been around somebody. And it is 
And this is the most difficult part. You know, once somebody is tested positive, they, they need to quarantine. You know, you, you just, you know, to me, the height of irresponsibility, you know, I understand people obsess about the masks one way or the other. To me, the height of irresponsibility is the fact that people who know they're sick decide that they're going to go out into public places. I mean, we had that story out of uh, Ozaki County a few weeks ago where the parents, knowing the kid has a fever and is coughing up a lung, you know, send the kid to school. Okay, that to me is the irresponsible stuff that you have to end up cracking down on as opposed to saying, all right, we're going to try to shut everything down. I just don't think people will support it. And if that's what the governor is going to be talking about tonight, his plan to ask the legislature to give him authority to close up the state of Wisconsin once again, I got to tell you, I think it's a complete and total non-starter. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Now, the good news on the coronavirus front is the thing that caused the stock market to just explode yesterday. Matter of fact, uh, I don't have the most recent numbers right now. But, I mean, the stock market up, the Dow ended up up 800-some-odd points yesterday because Pfizer um, announced that their experimental coronavirus vaccine was more than 90% effective. And by by making that announcement, it it really increased the chance that regulators are going to authorize a vaccine on an emergency basis as early as maybe the middle of next month and that uh, the first shots will begin to be administered before the end of the year or early next year. Now, I understand that this isn't. This isn't necessarily a guarantee that COVID-19 is going to go away because, as we've talked about, there's a lot of you who aren't going to get the vaccine, at least not going to get the vaccine in the first few months because you're you're concerned that maybe there's going to be some adverse risks, et cetera, et cetera. Look, I I understand that. And while I, I don't feel that way, as I've said this before, to me, it is a conversation I have with my doctor. And if he says, look, I, I think you know, I, I mean, when my doctor says stuff, I, I, I listen to him and I almost always follow his advice. And if he says, look, you know, you've had these other shots, you've never, you don't have any history of having adverse reactions to flu shots or shingle shots or all these other different things that we've, we've given you over the years. And I don't see any reason why you shouldn't have this because you don't want to get COVID-19. So if my doctor says, go ahead and do it, I'm going to do it. I, I think a lot of people are going to be in that situation. But I understand that there's there's many people who, who won't. Still, for the people who then have access to the vaccine and get it, assuming for the sake of argument that it works, well, all right, once you've got the vaccine, all right, you're you're probably out of the woods, or at least there's a decent chance, so we start to build that herd immunity. That's why that information was so good and so positive. It seems to me that, you know, if we if we want to look at reality here, we're trying to figure out how to get through the next month, month and a half, two months, um, until the vaccine actually starts getting out there. As soon as the vaccine is out there, I think you start to see light at the end of the tunnel. Like I say, I'm not naive enough to believe that the whole situation goes away, but once you start to get that vaccine out there and the quicker it can be rolled out and the quicker it can be given, particularly to the vulnerable, those people who are most vulnerable to have bad results, the better this all is going to be. So that's 
That's sort of the good news. Now, the problem is we have to get to that stage, and we have to figure out a way to get to that stage without completely and totally devastating the economy like the Evers shutdown did you know, earlier on in the spring. We can't go back to that. But at the same time, we need to be smart, and arguably I think we need to be smarter perhaps than we have been. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us Uh, today. The United States Supreme Court is hearing arguments on the future of Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act. And it's one of those where I don't think anybody knows what the court is going to do. Keep in mind that Obamacare was originally challenged as being unconstitutional. The Supreme Court, in a very, very close vote, decided it it was constitutional. But the, the swing vote in that case, Justice Roberts, said the reason it was constitutional is because the the mandate, the fact that people pay a penalty if you don't have insurance, that's essentially a tax. Now, interestingly, like the defenders of the Affordable Care Act, they didn't even argue that. But in an effort to save it, Justice Roberts said, look, I, I think this is a tax. And I, I think, you know, the government has the ability constitutionally to impose a tax. So since we're going to treat that, that penalty as a tax, um, it's constitutional. All right. Now, I don't want to get too far in the weeds on this, but what happened a few years back is the Republicans then removed the penalty. They took that out. So this is kind of where we are now. The question becomes, if the if the reason why this was upheld a couple of years back was because you had a penalty that was in place if you didn't get the insurance, and that that penalty was the tax, and that's what made it constitutional, if now that penalty has been removed, does that mean that the whole law fails? So there's a number of kind of interesting and, and intricate legal issues that are out there. The first is going to be, do the states, and this is a, a lawsuit being brought principally by Texas, but by some other um, states that are controlled by the Republicans as well. First question is, do they have what's called standing? Um, do they have a, an, an interest? Um, under the Constitution, federal courts can only decide situations where at least, you know, where a plaintiff has to demonstrate an injury resulting from the mandate to buy health coverage. So the first question is going to be, do the states, does Texas have the right to sue? All right, then once you get to the question of the right to sue, let's assume that they, they find Texas does, the second question that's out there and has to be dealt with is the whole question of whether or not by removing that requirement that people insure have, have to buy insurance does that suddenly um, render render the act unconstitutional? All right, and then you got to go back and look at what they did before. And then a related question to that is the word and you're going to hear this a lot. The word is severability. So that means let's say that 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 provision you know that's not there anymore. If you take that provision out. Does the rest of the Affordable Care Act still survive the, the legal challenge? And if you were listening to our news broadcast earlier, at least a couple of the Supreme Court justices were expressing some some question about about that. 
as to whether or not that would, you know, that would be, would in fact, you know, be the, the question that was, was there. So tell you what, we're going to take a very quick break. When we come back, we've got a couple special guests, something big, big announcement that came out today, and we're going to uh, talk to the folks who are responsible for that. Stick around. That's coming up in just a minute. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Sometime last week, Summerfest, Milwaukee World Festivals, announced that the, the long-standing relationship that they had with, with Harley-Davidson, the Harley-Davidson Roadhouse, that, that that was going to end. And, of course, a lot of the questions were, okay, what's, what's going to happen now? Well, we didn't have to wait very long for the answer to that because uh, today – Summerfest has announced that they have, well, a, a new stage sponsorship and that what was previously the Harley Davidson Road so- Roadhouse, it's now going to become the Generac Power Stage. And we are joined by Don Smiley, president and CEO of Milwaukee World's Festivals and um, the chairman of Generac and the CEO, Aaron Jagfeld. Gentlemen, good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Aaron. Don, you there? Hey, hey. Yeah, good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I am great. Okay, well, a lot of people heard the Harley news and said, oh, my gosh, but you guys, the, uh, my guess is this had been in the works for a while. Uh, I met Aaron a few months ago, and we started talking about uh, our respective companies and, and how we may be able to partnership one day down the road, and, and lo and behold, an opportunity presented itself. I'd be remiss if I didn't say uh, how fortunate we were to have Harley for over two decades. Uh, they brought a lot to the party. It was a great ride. And, uh, you know, it came to an end. So, you know, th- that, that was a very long time to have a sponsorship. Right. So uh, in, in the sponsorship business, that is. So when it was coming to an end, uh, I presented that opportunity to Aaron and his management team they um we met with them they came out to the site and visited they met internally and and uh after a pretty short period of time we we got a deal done that's outstanding now Aaron I have to tell you I I am I, I was geeking out when I heard this because I am a huge fan of, of Generac. You, it's, you're based in Waukesha, founded in 1959, 7,000 people, 4,000 of them work in Wisconsin. I, I want one of your home in-home generators. I've been having this conversation with my wife for a while. We've replaced all the other mechanicals in the house, and I say, I want one of these home generators. And she's like, well, I'm not sure we really need it. So I don't know if we need it or not. I want it. You, you guys, tell me a little bit about the country, the company, and, and its history. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a great company, uh, Jeff. You know, and I've, I've been here. I've had the good fortune of being here since 1994. I'm a local product, so this is you know I'm born and raised in the Milwaukee area, and and uh, had the opportunity to to go to school right down the road at UW Whitewater, and mm-hmm. started my career in in downtown Milwaukee with uh, one of the audit firms there. And this was a client of mine, so uh, able to jump on board uh, a long time ago. But the company's been around, as you said, since the late 1950s, and this is. This is the American dream here. You know, this is, it was, the company was started by an entrepreneur. You had an idea for a product and, you know, one of those products that you, you covet, right? That you're looking to put on your house. Absolutely. He just, yeah. And he just, he, he wouldn't take no for an answer. He was just the, it was the, the pure definition of, you know, an entrepreneur. And, and, um, it's just so fortunate to have worked for Bob Kern. He was the founder of the company. And then, you know, as we transitioned to become a public company, uh, you know, I've had the good fortune, uh, you know, the good fortune to, to lead the company here for the last uh, 12 years or so. And, 
and it's been quite a ride. Well, it, it is a true story. Where, where I live, we 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 energy is extremely reliable. But about two weeks ago, uh, some tree falls down on a power line or whatever, so we, we lose power for about two or three hours. And I was saying to my wife, "See, if we had that Generac whole house generator, <laughs> we would not have a problem with this." And <laughs> I, I might bring her around on that. Let w- let's talk a little bit about from from the perspective of Generac. What what's the what's the benefit of of partnering with with Summerfest and taking over that stage? Yeah, you know, we saw this as as kind of the next step in our evolution, right? I mean, we've we've kind of been this quiet, low profile company out here in Western Waukesha County, and and you know that's 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 been a great way for us to go about our business here for the last uh, sixty years or so. But we've experienced some explosive growth in the last five to seven years, and and you know we're hiring a ton of people in this area, and and a ton of people really across the globe. As you said, we've got over four thousand here in the state of Wisconsin now, and six different facilities here, and and it just felt like, you know, we've never put our name uh, on a sponsorship like this, at least at this scale and, and this type of uh, term. You know, this is a long-term deal. And, you know, for us, just elevating the brand uh, in the eyes of our employees, in the eyes of our customers, in the eyes of the community, uh, and being able to give back to the community and be a part of that. I mean, Summerfest is it's an iconic festival, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, having grown up in this area, you know, just that's the one thing you look forward to in the summer. And and I always saw that you saw the, the the great blue chip names that were sponsors of the event there, and it just felt like the next logical step for us. And it's just, it, I think it's just going to be a great fit. Now, now, Don, when when we think about that that area, the Harley Davidson Roadhouse, which is actually kind of what where our broadcast facility has always been by the lake. I mean, you, you it, it is it's iconic the way the whole stage is designed. Um, will, will there be major changes in the design of the stage and the stuff that's there? Is it going to look materially different when people come back next summer? It's going to look materially different. Uh, the, the stage will not be demolished. It, it's going to be the same stage house. And um, the VIP building that, that, that you know of, the first level is for the public, and the second level is for um, would be reserved for Generac. That those buildings will remain the same. However, they're going to be refreshed with new facings, a new look, and there will be new signage along with um, uh, enhanced lighting. There will be a lot more video in the area, and it's going to have uh, Generac's fingerprints all over the area. So while the structures will remain, they will look different. Mm-hmm. Don, you know, we, we, we talk about this a lot. I know for for, for a lot of people, it, it's going down to Summerfest, it's about the music and the food and all those sort of things. For for Summerfest to continue to be viable, not just next year, but five years from now, ten years from now, you really do depend on the support of 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 businesses throughout the area, throughout the state, et cetera, to come in and step up and, and help support it. And that's this that's this is just another classic example of that. Well, there's no question about it, Jeff. Uh, an opportunity presented itself when when the Harley-Davidson um, sponsorship was over with and, and Generac seized the opportunity, and it's blue-chip companies like that, like Aaron was talking about, that, that really make it possible for us to do what we're doing. I mean, Generac's investing in the, in the area in the, in the way of CapEx to... Um, like I said, to refresh the area and make it more fan-friendly. And, you know, w- without investments like that, 
you know, and this is this has been going on for years now. I mean, we just keep rebuilding and rebuilding, and that's really what our fans come to expect over the years, and 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 that's what we deliver to them. And this is no different. This is going to be a first class stage, and it's going to off it's going to offer just awesome music. Well, so for people who go to the Summerfest grounds next year, there's there's going to be the, the new amphitheater is going to be availed. You know, the new Generac stage. You've got the um, upgraded children's um, area that we talked about. It's it, it, there's going to be a lot to see down there next summer. We're busy this winter. We've like you said, we've got the Northwestern Mutual Community Park being built, and and now we'll have the Generac project and um, just some finishing touches. We're pretty much done in the American Family Insurance Amphitheater, but some finishing touches that will um, that we'll get at before opening day, and. Uh, we're really excited about it. I mean, there's, there's a lot to do, but that's exactly what we do. Well, gentlemen, I'm glad you could spend some time to talk to me about this. As, as you guys as both know, I'm I'm a huge fan of, of Summerfest, and Aaron, as you now know, I'm a huge fan of Generac. I'm still dealing with this generator envy thing. I'm going to pull the trigger on that sometime, but I think it's a great partnership. I think it's it's great for the community. It's great for southeastern Wisconsin. It's great for the future of Summerfest. And so um, I, I think, you know, I speak for a lot of us to say, you know, Generac, thanks for stepping up. And, and Don, it's it's great to you know, you're able to, like, find a great partner in this situation that's fantastic i think it's going to work for everyone and and most of all the fans outstanding gentlemen thank you both for joining me this afternoon looking forward to seeing you on the Summerfest grounds um well we got one more winter to get through but hopefully things will be better hopefully it's going to be returning to normal by the time Summerfest kicks off in 2021 there you go. Thanks for having us on, Jeff. Thank Absolutely. You. Take care, gentlemen. Right. That's Thank you, uh, Jeff. You betcha. That's, of course, the big announcement from Summerfest, the Harley-Davidson Roadhouse being prepared or replaced with the Generac Power Stage. Again, if, if you're not familiar with Generac, it's really um, it, it's a great success story, as Aaron was talking about. Uh, about 4,000, based in Waukesha, 4,000 employees. It's one of the, the Fortune 100's fastest growing companies. And, and interestingly, um, they've, they've developed this, this, this niche in, in this, this industry. And, you know, there, there's other companies that make generators, but Generac has really taken off. And I wasn't kidding around. It's kind of like serious. I've, I've wanted a generator for years and years and years. And I don't know, maybe, Maybe we got Christmas coming up, huh, Gru? Huh? Maybe, maybe though the whole house generator. Maybe we'll work that in. Ask Santa for that. All right, back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. And maybe a quick note for the Milwaukee Common Council: um, the, the same folks who decided that they were going to push. You know, uh, their own version of defunding the police, like cutting the Milwaukee Police Department by 120 spots. If nobody's told you, uh, crime is not getting any better in the city of Milwaukee. As we talked about a little bit yesterday, city of Milwaukee is has just set an all-time record for the number of homicides. I think it's like a as of yesterday I think it was 167. That is that you got to go back to 1991 at the height of the street gangs and the crack cocaine explosion and stuff like that to come close to that number. And and we're all re- we're only, you know, we're not at November 15th yet. We're not at Thanksgiving yet and we've already set an all-time record for homicides and the numbers just keep getting 
worse and worse. Um, yesterday, 8.30 at night, 30-year-old man shot and killed on the south side um, in, in the Mitchell Street area. Multiple gunshot wounds. Um, also, Monday afternoon, investigating a homicide of a 28-year-old male who was shot on North 36th Street. So, again, and by the way, Monday night, another shooting, a non-fatal triple shooting on the north side. Okay, now nobody died in connection with that, but that is, of course, just but for the grace of God that somebody didn't die. In in the wake of this, a, a spiraling, out-of-control, all-time record number of homicides, the mayor proposes cutting the police force by 120 officers, and the Common Council goes along with it. And in some respects... You're almost lucky that they only cut 120 because there's some members of the Common Council that want to cut even more spots. How in the world can you do that in in all seriousness? Let's take politics aside. Given the fact that if a city is not safe, and I think you can make a strong argument that the city of Milwaukee is not safe. If a city is not safe, how can you convince people to live there? How can you convince people to start businesses there? How can you convince people to invest in that? You've got to get a handle on crime. And it's more and more apparent that, that we don't have that. Now, I, I don't, I, I understand that the crime is spreading all over. Uh, Sheboygan police, I mean, this is just, it's the randomness too that, that's kind of scary. I mean, I guess it's, it's one thing you could say, well, somebody was on the streets at eight o'clock at night, or if it's a shooting is at two o'clock in the morning or something like that. But I mean, here's the other deal. I don't know if you saw this story, but police say on the interstate, carjackers fired gunshots while trying to steal a vehicle in Sheboygan on Monday night and then jumped on I-43, fleeing in other stolen vehicles. About 6 o'clock, Sheboygan police responded to reports of shots fired in Sheboygan. The suspects were in a a vehicle stolen earlier Monday in Manitowoc. They attempted to steal another vehicle in Sheboygan. The driver drove drove away and the carjackers opened fire striking the vehicle suspects then stole another vehicle at gunpoint and then fled in both of the stolen cars on I-43 ultimately the sheriff's department caught them stolen vehicle from Manitowoc was stopped by spike strips and uh, two males ages 16 and 17 fled on foot but were caught the people driving the other stolen car right now have gotten away but you know what's the dazzling detail of that story 16 and 17 year olds out stealing cars at gunpoint and then when they're not able to successfully pull off the theft what they do is they pull out their guns and they start shooting at people so yes violence in Milwaukee is out of control violence throughout southeastern Wisconsin though equally out of control as well wow and in the city of Milwaukee we're cutting police officers go figure back with more in just a minute Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Okay, so Melissa, I, w- I was off the last couple days last week, but you guys launched the latest WTMJ Cares initiative. It's it's your your headlining it. I am. Um, pass the turkey, the turkey tally. We've been talking a little bit about this. People can go to our website, WTMJ.com. 
click on the WTMJ Cares, and then for the different shows that are there, people can click on it and, and make a donation to the Hunger Task Force. How does this whole thing work, and what was the impetus behind it? So, you know, we really wanted to make sure people were being fed this holiday season. The pandemic has hit some people in particular areas very, very hard. There's a lot of food insecurity um, around southeastern Wisconsin, and who better to help out than the Hunger Task Force powered by Watry Industries? This really is something that speaks to my heart heart because I love I love to feed people. So so the Hunger Task Force loves to do the same thing. And we're really also getting everyone here at WTMJ involved. Although it's a competition, it's a fun competition, it really comes down to making sure people have enough food for the Thanksgiving holiday. Okay, so now we're encouraging people. It's, it's $15 for a, a, turkey. a turkey. Is that is that actually the turkey or is it the dinner? Or how, how, I'm just kind of curious right. how it so works. Right, so it is actually the turkey. We're helping Hunger Task Force raise money for turkey. Turkeys. They go through this specific club. It's called the Turkey Club. <laughs> so they get all their turkeys through this club. Their actual farm is a produce farm for Hunger Task Force. So they go through this other company to get the turkeys. But yes, we are specifically raising money for turkeys for okay. Thanksgiving. Okay, yeah. so that that's the deal. That's it. So it, 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 we are not being figurative. We are being literal. Yes. So when somebody makes that donation of $15 or... You know, uh, that for one turkey or $150 for 10 turkeys or, you know, that do the correct. math, it goes up. That actually, that, that's going to be real turkeys. I <laughs> know. Oh, cool. That, no, that, that's, that's a great, given, that, you know what? That's, that's a great question people. for sure. And I think it's great to get in your head the idea of what you're actually giving. Cause sometimes you give, oh, I gave $50, but you don't really know what that goes to. This really does go to turkeys and it goes to families in need in Southeast Wisconsin. So you're helping people in your community right in the backyard. Right now, I have tried to stay above the fray of all this, <laughs> yeah. but but some of my colleagues are 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 actually kind of there. There's there, they're there is killing like, it. They're, they're, well, there's also trash talking going on <laughs> about about this stuff, and you know, feel free. You can get involved in the trash talking. Mm, I'm not a trash talker. You're not talker. a trash talker. Not on, well, I not on that. that. Not, oh, yeah. not on that. <laughs> there, might, there might be other stuff, but yeah. not, not not with not my colleagues. Turkeys. But no, but I mean, I, I do think this is it is a wonderful opportunity to to do that, and it's and, and we do make it extremely easy. And I, I've said this, you know, Melissa, I've been doing mm-hmm. a show on TMJ for this is the 23rd season, and I, when, whenever we do these things, I'm always amazed at the generosity of people and we we try to sometimes i think we overthink these things or make it a little bit too hard this is really really easy and it and it's a sort of a clever idea it is whether you want to give one donation of fifteen dollars or you want to give several ten turkeys whatever you want to give and just think jeff if each one of your listeners just gave one donation of fifteen dollars or one turkey how many turkeys that would be for people around southeast wisconsin so i'm just going to throw it out there i want to encourage you all the listeners and vans out there um if you'd like to donate you can text the word turkey to the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 855-616-1620. The link will be sent straight to your phone, and you can donate right on your phone. Okay, so then you can you can go down there, you can find the Wagner Show, and yeah. you can say, okay, I'm going to... And one tur- I mean, look, it, it doesn't matter whether it's one turkey mm-hmm. or ten turkeys or a thousand turkeys, but of course, you know, if a thousand turkeys would be great the as well. The more the better, you know, yeah. but, Exactly, but it, it's sort of a fun competition. But again, the, the thing that's so cool about this is, while it is, it, we're doing this for fun... We're, more importantly, we're doing it 
to help people have a better Thanksgiving and to kind of appreciate that. And through this entire process, um, I will be telling stories, some really wonderful, heartwarming stories of people that the Hunger Task Force have, has helped. You'll get to understand what the Hunger Task Force as an organization does a little bit better. Um, this afternoon, you'll be hearing from Farm Director Matt King at the Hunger, excuse me, Hunger Task Force on Wisconsin's Afternoon News, what exactly they do there at the farm. Again, this campaign goes through up until uh, Thanksgiving Day. So if you, I'm, I'm watching our text line. People yeah. are actually oh, good, texting good. this in. So if you text text the word turkey, and that's that's that is not directed at me or Melissa. That is just that's directed at this. If you text the word turkey to eight five five six one six one six twenty, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We will we'll we'll send you the link to this. You can also do it the old fashioned way. Just don't go to our website. You, you can't miss it. Pass the turkey. Scroll down, and uh, you can make some donations. Um, and it, it it's a great cause. And if you choose to do it for my show, that that's great. I I would appreciate that. But it's equally as important that you make the donations. Right. Percent. Thank you so much Jeff. You betcha. Um, it's our WTMJ Cares Initiative, a perfectly appropriate and well-timed um, event given, again, the, the time of the season and given all the needs that people end up having. Um, all right, let us switch gears. I think if you're a regular listener to this program, you know my background. I was a, uh, I, I was a drug prosecutor for the U.S. Uh, government from well, during the, the 12 or 13 years I worked for the U.S. Attorney's Office, a, a good portion of that time, that was my principal job, prosecuting drug cases. And I, it was, it was during the explosion of the so-called war on drugs. And, um, you know, we, we saw, we saw things switch in Milwaukee during my time I was there. It was originally, it was powdered cocaine and then it became crack cocaine. And then, then it started to be like methamphetamine. If you were, uh, if you watched the TV show Breaking Bad, you, you knew about methamphetamine. Um, recently, as we've talked about on multiple occasions, heroin has been making a huge comeback. I mean, in the 80s and 90s, heroin was not a, a big drug, but it, it's been making a comeback now. And of course, you have the opioid crisis and all that. I firmly believe that our fascination with, with drugs is is one of the things that is undermining our society. Now, I understand that there's people who, who think that the war on drugs is a failure and you, you can't imprison people. I, I'm not sure I, I go, I forget, forget not sure. It, it's, it's one thing to talk about, should we decriminalize marijuana? It's one thing to say, should we legalize marijuana? But when you start talking about these devastating drugs, heroin, methamphetamine, crack cocaine, the list goes on and on and on. Anybody who has seen the real-world effects of, of drug addiction on on people, I, I think, would, would have to say, well, well, why would we want to decriminalize this or, or legalize this to make it easier for people to, to shoot heroin and get themselves addicted or to take crack cocaine or to take methamphetamine. Why would we want to do that? And yet, if we look out on the West Coast, that is precisely what voters in Oregon, yes, that Oregon that is the home to Portland, that's been what, you know, how, how many consecutive days do we have like their various protests? Here, here's the thing. Um, last week at the election day, approximately, well, approximately 60% of Oregon voters approved what they call Measure 110, which is the drug decriminalization referendum. So the way it works now in Oregon, 
the way it works is possession of any controlled substance, including heroin, cocaine, methamphetamine, etc., etc., etc. Any controlled substance, possession of it, simple possession, is punishable by a maximum fine, a maximum fine of $100 or a completed health assessment. So the idea would be, you know, you, you're, you're out there on the streets in, in Portland, Oregon, and you're shooting up heroin, and you're, you're able to survive that. The heroin doesn't kill you, but, you know, you're, you're there shooting it up. Somebody comes along. You cannot be arrested for that. You can only be given essentially a ticket for 100 bucks. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How can I say this? Has the world gone mad? I mean, really, has the world gone mad? I, 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 I understand that, you know, people, you know, view marijuana as, at least some people view marijuana as, as a harmless drug that's no worse or maybe even better than, than alcohol. And to, to which my question is, I mean, okay, do you really want the kid that's the guy that's driving your kid's school bus to be smoking pot? But, but let's, let's put that aside. I don't want to talk about marijuana. That, that's a whole different question. Marijuana has been decriminalized in Oregon since 1973. But I want to talk about heroin, cocaine, methamphetamine, all these different addictive, deadly, hard drugs, and now possession of them, use of them in public, for example, it's a $100 ticket. Is that good public policy? Do you want to live in a community where, all right, you know, let's let's turn it over to the heroin junkies and let's let them do this without any sort of fear at all? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And, and by the way, all the people that are out there in the communities that are hooked on, on heroin, et cetera, et cetera, who have now been pretty much given a green light to do it, all right, what, what is that going to do for, for that, that society? Because I'm here to tell you, you know, if you're hooked on heroin, your chances of being an otherwise productive member of that, that society are, aren't very good. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Oregon has now become the first state in the country to decriminalize the use of, of all controlled substances. Heroin, cocaine, methamphetamine. It's now no longer a criminal penalty for using it. It's only a $100 fine, which, by the way, you can avoid if you go into a health assessment. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Crystal in Maguanago. Hi, Crystal. Hi. Um, I don't think you have the whole story. It's not just a $100 fine or a health assessment. You have to agree to get to have treatment. And it's only, um, it's only deregulated. If it's for personal use, yeah. if, if somebody has more um, on them, then it still is a criminal. Yeah. Um, well, right, you can still prosecute. It's still illegal to deal, right? Right. Correct, but it's not just the hundred dollar fine. They have to have treatment as well. So they're, I, in my opinion, and the opinion of many people, um, addiction is a disease. So I mean, you wouldn't put somebody with diabetes in prison, and but. But, I feel like um, addiction is, uh, they have to have their medicine, just like 
other other. But, but what if they don't diseases. want to get clean? What what if you have somebody that is, who doesn't want to? At least when you had criminal penalties, that was an incentive to get people to to go in and and to get treatment. Because hey, if you don't get treatment, you're going to go to jail. Now, without criminal penalties, there's no incentive to get them to stick with the treatment. Um, well, it's been my experience. I'm not firsthand, but it's been my experience that people don't want to be addicts. They just are powerless against it. And if they do have an opportunity to get treatment, a lot of them would accept it. It's too expensive. If if, if people don't have insurance, um, even the state insurances don't necessarily cover um, a lot of the treatments. Okay, so look into your crystal ball. Two years from now, do you think that the drug problem is going to be better or worse in Oregon because of this? I think it would get a lot of people off the streets that desperately needed the help. Um, and But it does scare me, on the other hand, that uh, people would think that it's not as dangerous as it is if it's not illegal. Right. Okay. Thank, that's fair enough. I mean, that, that that's fair enough. Now, see, here, here, here is the thing. And I see, I, I firmly believe this, and this goes back to my days as a drug prosecutor, that... Um, First of all, I, I mean, I, I don't know. She's talking about people being powerless to control the addiction. Oh, oh, whatever, you need you need incentive to to get clean, and at least the threat of criminal prosecution, I would argue, always posed one of one of those incentives. Oh my gosh, if okay, I, I've been caught. I have these thing. I have these problems. I've now been caught. I got to get clean, and so if I don't get clean, I, I run the risk of having to to be in lockup or jail. That gives you the motivation. The problem now, if you decriminalize it, is there, there's no incentive. There, there's no stick that forces people to, to go get treatment. I also believe, and I guess I'm willing to argue this, but I, I also believe firmly that if you decriminalize something, if you say that there's no essentially no penalty for it, use of it goes up and i think that's what crystal was was kind of acknowledging there you use of it use of it goes up and i i'm here to tell you and again i'm, I'm i i've I, I've never, I've never done heroin. I've never done cocaine. I've never done methamphetamine. But I spent a lot of time working with dealing with the, the the, the social um, results of people who who did get themselves uh, addicted and seeing the families that were destroyed and and things like that. And I, I firmly believe that when you decriminalize this. That leads to increased use. Now, maybe you can argue about marijuana. All right, that the fact that people are smoking pot—that's not gonna—that that's not gonna ruin their lives. I'm here to tell you. You know, you you have more people that are doing methamphetamine or crack cocaine or heroin. You and and you're you know the the social damage that that is going to do given the addictive nature of all this stuff i i think is just almost unbelievable that's why i think this is such bad policy maybe well intended we don't want to punish people for doing this okay but by not punishing them you don't do them a favor because i think what you do at least in my opinion is you allow them to continue into that addiction all right let's talk to um Let's see, Andy. Um, Andy, you're on WTMJ. Hey there, this is a great topic. Thanks for talking about this. Sure. Um, I think that that the, the big thing here is, that, I mean, no one's going to argue that these people are going to be productive members of society right now, but I think that what it does is it shifts some of the um, responsibility um, off of the police force and off of the prison system. 
so that they can better deal with stuff that they're actually better trained to deal with. Now, if these people escalate into violent acts to get their drugs, then they enter the criminal justice system, and then, you know, it's fair game. But I think that it takes some of the burden. It actually supports police to not ask them to deal with something that, you know, doesn't need to be in their purview. And if we can treat this before it gets to that point, then maybe some of the collateral damage to society and to the families and the, and, and, and the neighborhoods around them, maybe that can be Okay. Maybe that can be decreased. Okay, now work with me on this one, Andy. All right, let, let's say yeah. you have somebody who has an addiction to heroin. All right, um, that 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 is a very expensive habit to feed. So how how are they going to pay for that? And and I mean the, the answer is they're 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 going to be they're going to be stealing from their family. They're going to be stealing from their employer if they're able to have an employer. I mean there there's going to be all these related crimes to support that habit, right? Well, then you go after them for the related crimes, for sure, absolutely. But there are many cases where people function without doing that kind of thing, and they're destroying their own lives. And in that case, I think it's wise not to criminalize just the fact of using it. You know, that's not condoning it in any way. But it is. interrupting it earlier. So, again, the police force isn't left to deal with. The other, the back end of but, it, but but by but by decriminalizing it, by allowing people to do it with impunity, isn't isn't that actually condoning something that you and I would, I think we would all agree that doing heroin really really bad. It doesn't equate to smoking pot. Um, it, it, by by Absolutely. not criminalizing it, doesn't that effectively effectively condone it? Well, I think again, in effect, it does. But you're not. But what you want to criminalize is the things you do to support it. And then if they do those things, then it's, then it's fair game because stealing is wrong, violence yeah. is wrong. All those things are wrong, you know. Okay, so you let me ask you this. You look into your crystal ball. Two years from now, what do you think the, the drug overdose death rate is going to be? Heroin, methamphetamine, crack cocaine, all that thing. Higher than now, lower, hi- higher than now, lower than now. You know, that's, that's the thing. I don't know, but the way it is now, we have increased addiction, but we also have increased strain on the police force and on the prison mm-hmm. si- on the prison system. You know that that's the thing. Yeah. Like what's happening right now isn't working. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for calling. Appreciate. It. I mean, I, I guess I, again, I, I to me this is a completely different step. I, you know, I have a text here. Jeff, recovered addicts will tell you that jail and prison, or the threat of those. That's what lead to treatment, and that was their salvation. In addition, society also needs to be protected. And I guess I see. I I look at it like this. I I understand that this is going to be noble. We we don't want to punish people who are powerless against heroin or powerless against addictions. I I understand all that, but I don't believe that by making it easier, and that's what this does, and fewer consequences for people to develop a habit that is going to sooner or later kill them unless they get help. I don't think that we're doing them any sort of favors at all. And candidly, the only way that you get people, I, I think, to, I, I think the threat of prosecution, that's that's one of the things that ends up getting people to, to straighten up. I'm willing to go on record here. You know, we're talking about what day is it? November 10th, November 11th, whatever. I'm willing to go on record and predict two years from now, the number of drug overdoses, deaths, is going to be materially higher than it is today in Oregon. On top of it, I'm willing to predict that the number of addicts are much higher and that the number of 
addicted-related crimes. Because let, let's face it, if you're trying to support a heroin habit, chances are that you're you're not working at a job. What you're doing is you're stealing to try to support it and things of the like. I'm willing to bet that those are all through the roof. Maybe I will be wrong. Time will tell. But I think this is a awful, awful decision by the voters in Oregon. This is Jeff Wagner.